Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, April 25th, 2022. On the show today, news, theme park surveys. And in our main segment, Jim Hill continues the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, Disney's own government entity in Central Florida. Jim, I think it's been on the news, hasn't it? I a little. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a thing or two I think I saw on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says the only women that call him baby are his wife and that nice elderly waitress down at the Waffle House. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. I, Len, you know Dirty Dancing, the movie, not the choreography, right? I know both, Jim, because I'm a sensitive individual. Go ahead. Oh, you then know the famous line from that film that nobody baby, puts, baby, me- puts baby in a corner. Yeah. Well, that's like, why is it that every time I go to the Waffle House, the waitresses insist on seating me in the corner of that restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interestingly, they always put me at the bar, and I wonder if it's if it's to keep an eye on me. It, and you're like, yeah, oh, this this guy's not trouble, but but you know we don't want this riffraff up by the front door. Well, I, I, I always think it's like they think of me. You know, look at me, ah, uh-huh, former mafioso. So they did just <laughs> seat him against the wall so I can stay stay ever vigilant and and exactly. watch my enemies approach. Back to the wall, and and the wall is always drywall, not glass, because drywall is easy to repair. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Yeah, there we go. All right, well, one final note here. Uh, Tony Soprano got sloppy if he and his family when they went to that diner in the series finale of The Sopranos. If he'd taken a seat where he had his back to the wall, we could have enjoyed many more seasons of that show. I, I have so many ideas on what the ending actually meant and that we could probably do our own show. Oh, okay. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers in W1230, Emerson Pratt, and CJ Max 73 and longtime subscribers CMA Win, RMS, and Graham Clark. Jim, these are the theme park DJs who selected the songs in the soundtrack for the new Guardians of the Galaxy ride over at Epcot, including Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, Iran by Flock of Seagulls, and September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And they say they can neither confirm nor deny that if you enter Barry Manilow's birthday into the ride console, it'll play Mandy during your visit to Xandar. True story. Hmm. I think I'm going to be punching some numbers in next time. <laughs> actually, I love all of those songs, and I really do like Mandy. I think the lyrics in Mandy are actually – they're really good. Right? Land. The, where, where, where Manilow actually says mm-hmm. uh, and, and that he, he's, he's having trouble thinking of the rhyme for the mm-hmm. next line. Yep. Like that is both – it's both meta and also very poignant because it's personal. I, I love that song. And you know you know what's the funny thing is how I love the song? Mm-hmm. Not from when it was played on the radio. I love it from the episode of Angel on the WB where they had to, to karaoke it. <laughs> and I was like, this is, there's nothing wrong with the song. This, 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 song, this song's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry for what? That was 77. So what? 30, oh God, 45 Yeah, years? but I only, only I only started liking it like in the last 15 years. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, you know, th- th- sometimes Len and I lie awake at night and sit there and go, she came and she gave without taking. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> but he sent her away. Well, there and, you go. All right. Oh, it's the story. It's like Romeo and Juliet, but in a three and a half minute song. And then, Beautiful. you know, is it is she? he sent her away at UPS, FedEx, with her, her, <laughs> their holes in the box so she could breathe. I mean, get questions, <laughs> questions, questions. <laughs> There has to be a college class on the, on interpreting the lyrics of Barry Manilow. Has to be. Has right. to be. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. Mm-hmm. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. 
So as a reminder, uh, Jim, you and I are doing the second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World starting Friday, December 2nd, 2022. It's a weekend. Also, we're looking at March 30th through April 1st, 2023 for our group cruise on the Star Cruiser Halcyon. Also a Thursday check-in and a Saturday checkout. Uh, visit storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish to sign up for these events. In other upcoming things, Jim, I don't know if it's been announced because we record this on Thursday, mm-hmm. but I'm told character dining is coming back to Ohana soon. Mm-hmm. So maybe okay. by the time the show comes out, who knows? Okay. In other dining news, I was over at the Grand Floridian last night mm-hmm. and I heard Israel has left Citrico's and we all know that that means we're on roughly a 60-day countdown now for the opening of Victorian Alberts. It's possible mm-hmm. at the Grand Flow because Israel is going to go manage that. And I think we said, uh, Jim, on last week's show that our friends in the French automobile tire business are planning a trip to V&A in mid to late summer. So things are coming together nicely there. Ooh, okay. Can't wait to hear what they have to say. Yeah, it should be good. Also, cast member previews have started for Guardians of the Galaxy. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Have you Have you heard anything, Jim? I've heard more fun than thrilling, but definitely yeah, fun. Yeah. A great addition to the park. I did too. And I heard the, um, the, it's a very smooth coaster. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to comparing that to like VelociCoaster, which is my current favorite mm-hmm. in all of Central Florida. Um, my preview is May 7th. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, that's a Saturday. So I might have to record a special segment for Aaron to introduce to the show for Schmerz Day, May 9th. So we'll see what happens there. Cool, cool. Also, Jim, um, last thing for news, I'd like to introduce a new segment mm-hmm. to the news part of the show and that we should offer on an irregular mm-hmm. basis. And I'd like to, Jim, I'd like to call this new segment, and I know this is going to be popular, This Week in Ice Cream. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, here we go. So here's how it started. So our friends Mike, Jason, and Scott with special guest Griff were in Brooklyn at the beginning of the month for a special live episode of their show, Podcast The Ride. So Jim, you've, you've heard these guys, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great, great show. Mm-hmm. Fantastic show. Hilarious. Very, very funny mm-hmm. uh, look at themed entertainment. So uh, it was a great show. Absolutely hilarious. Um, they reviewed the old Mars 2112 restaurant in Manhattan. No. Yes. And it was, uh, and so I'm thinking like, my God, this is the precursor to Space 220. Uh, quick question. Had any of them actually been to it or? Yes. I think uh, Griff had been there uh, okay. actually several times. It was a personal favorite of his oh. and just told the funniest stories about, he went over time, like mm-hmm. he went several times a year. Mm-hmm. So he would see like, this is how it opened mm-hmm. and then this is how it degraded, right? Oh. But the, the the hilarious thing about it was mm-hmm. um, just like Space 220, yeah. the idea was that you're in Manhattan, but you get transported to Mars, mm-hmm. right? And, and in the case of Space 220 to the space station, right? Mm-hmm. But you get you get transported to Mars uh, to eat. So there's actually this like hydrolator type idea where you're Absolutely. on the space elevator. I mean, I, I, not to interrupt, but Nancy and I actually went to this place once when we were in New York. And I, I still remember to this day because they had characters that would wander the restaurant. God, they did, Jim. They yeah. did. Okay. And so Nancy is, is eating her dinner, unaware that a character is coming up on her blind side. You know, it just, so she looks up from her, her pasta dish and the scream, you know, just, oh, yeah. it was a fascinating place to go to once. So I'm, applause to Griff for going back because it's like, wow, this stove is hot. Let me put my hand on it again. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the thing the thing that I learned from this, Jim, is mm-hmm. that the average New Yorker loves when strangers surprise them. 
<laughs> like that is that was just like that's part of the community, right? Yeah. Like the uh, the other thing though that Griff mentioned was um, so the restaurant opened before nine eleven, mm-hmm. oh, but yeah. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. management did not change the ride to space video. It actually showed the twin towers for like ten years after the event happened. So every every person who was like excited to go in the restaurant gets into this like their first experience with the restaurant is flying past the twin towers on the way to Mars. And it's just like it's like putting your failed health inspections mm-hmm. on the front door of the restaurant for when people come in. It's like this is not a great setup. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So the event was hilarious. Mm-hmm. If the podcast the right people ever do a live event near you guys, mm-hmm. go do it. They're super funny and they're all good people too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as you can imagine, a bunch of Disney Disc listeners mm-hmm. were at this event too because, you know, Disney podcast thing. So mm-hmm. I met a, a listener there named Jackie. Mm-hmm. And Jackie said that when I visit Maine to complete mm-hmm. my visit to all 50 United States, I should stop by her ice cream parlor. And here I have to say that Jackie is one of those like no nonsense New Englanders because the name of her ice cream parlor is Jim. Mm-hmm. The parlor ice cream shop. <laughs> you gotta say. I mean, it, you, you gotta say something for the the taciturn, you know, nature of 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 New England communication, right? I mean, it's just like here's what it is. More to the point, the brilliance from a Google search point of view. You know <laughs> exactly. I mean? yeah, yeah. No. Like, super smart. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So she's both she's both uh, succinct and smart. There we go. So I was intrigued by like how Jackie described the ice cream flavor. So I ordered five pints off the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the interest of science, Jim, you understand, I tried them all. Uh, here were the flavors. Mm-hmm. So the first one was uh, tahini brownie, which is you know um, sesame seeds mm-hmm. mixed with uh, brownie uh, chunks in, in ice cream. It was, it was delicious. I'm not a huge fan of sesame, mm-hmm. but this was delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that she sent in was uh, miso caramel, mm-hmm. which was a red miso caramel ice cream. Mm-hmm. And the, the cool thing there is you got both salt and sweet, which mm-hmm. you kind of like in an ice cream. Mm-hmm. There was a sweet cream, which is sort of like the base for everything else. Mm-hmm. My two favorites, orange blossom creamsicle. I am a oh. sucker for creamsicle. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I ate all of this in one sitting watching the love it. <laughs> Well, but, but again, yeah, yeah. vitamin C, lent citrus. Okay, it, exactly. It, it was a fr- it was a serving of fruit. That there was my go. take on okay. this. Okay, right? yes, mm-hmm. it's it's all about health, Jim. Just get mm-hmm. on board. There you go. But the one that I loved was it's called Luckiest Charms. Mm-hmm. It is Lucky Charms in the sweet cream milk, including the marshmallows. And my, I looked at this, and you open it up, and it's like it's obvious what this is, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, how has no one else done this? It was perfect because, I mean, ice cream tastes like milk. Mm-hmm. And this is cereal. Like, how have, how have we progressed 2022 years <laughs> after the birth of Jesus without doing Lucky Charms as an ice cream? Like, what did we miss as a society? Interesting side note here, Len. If you check the menu for The Last Supper, right there, Luckiest Charms. Luckiest Charms. There we there go. You go. So. That's it. Also, I don't want to go into this, but no one has ever commented on the fact that the Last Supper was actually a table for twenty-four, and they only used half the seats. <laughs> and as a, as a as every restaurant person I've ever looked at probably gets like the eye twitches when they see that, and you know it was it was separate checks. Anyway. I, uh, one final note: to <laughs> <laughs> so off the rails here. <laughs> I, I know, but but just 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 you know, the, this past week or so, there was a, somebody on Twitter had recreated Jesus had returned to Earth and was having a conversation. So that last meal with the guys, what did you call that? The Last Supper? It's like, ooh, spoiler alert. You 
know. <laughs> I, I love the one. So it was uh, Jesus talking and saying, okay, so the, the day that I got crucified was pretty terrible. What, what did you call it again? <laughs> yes, Good Friday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. We apologize anyway, for all, right. all those who offended. Moving on now. So. <laughs> all right. So Jackie mentioned, that, by the way, all the flavors are delicious. Mm-hmm. The website is... Um, with dashes between it, the dash parlor dash ice dash cream dash co dot myshopify.com. But if you Google in the parlor ice cream co on my Shopify, they'll find it. Then, then, so I, I wrote to Jackie, I'm like, oh my God, these are delicious. You know, mm-hmm. let me know the next time, you know, let, let me know where this place is. So when I get it to Maine, I'm, I'll, I'll visit. Cool, cool. And she's like, and then Jackie mentioned, mm-hmm. well, she kind of teased really mm-hmm. the idea of a new ice cream flavor for this show called Hank Conley. Oh! And that's my exact reaction. So oh. I put it to you, mm-hmm. dear listeners. What should go in a flavor of ice cream called Hank Conley? Obviously cone, but what else? Uh, and we could, more to the point, we have some time to sort of test and adjust out, out ahead of the event next April. Ooh, I, ooh. I feel like we could get this done before Tron opens. Oh. <laughs> I feel like we could. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's calendar 2025. Absolutely, Len. We can get this done. All right. The uh, the other ice cream news is that Salt and Straw, which is a Portland-based ice cream shop, has opened in Disney Springs. So through Jonathan, a friend of the show, who runs a little thing called Joe Coffee in New York, I was able to get into the preview on Tuesday. So I met Kim and Tyler, the founders, um, and we tried a dozen flavors. A lot of it, Jim, frankly, incredible. Mm-hmm. So Tyler handles the flavor profiles, mm-hmm. and he was describing what he had done for research for this flavor called Cinnamon Snickerdoodle, which, by the way, is either the best dog breed name ever or the most delicious flavor of ice cream you've ever tried, or it could be both. You never know. But anyway, so Tyler says he's like, you know, for the cinnamon, I tried 40 different varieties of cinnamon to get the right flavor profile for this. And when he said it, Jim, you know, like when people talk and it's like, you can see the PTSD flashing in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Like he spoke like someone who actually had tried 40 different kinds of cinnamon <sighs> for this one ice cream flavor. Mm-hmm. And then he started talking about the emulsification process for getting olive oil distributed in this Arbequina olive oil flavor that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all serious about me. They're bi- making ice cream. They're basically ice cream nerds in the best possible way. Oh, cool. So I talked to, uh, I talked to Kim also, we talked about what it's like to get to 800 employees and what it's like to work with Disney on two coasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got to be just doing something right because she says they're not experiencing the same kind of hiring or supply chain issues that other companies are having. So they seem to be run really, really well. I'll go through a list of the flavors here real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have 12 standard flavors, sea salt with caramel, double fold vanilla, chocolate gooey brownie, panther coffee chocolate tres leches. So it's a, an espresso mm-hmm sort of sweet cream thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites, the salted malted chocolate chip cookie dough. So it has a nice malt finish. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon snickerdoodle talked about that. Honey lavender. I'm not a huge fan of floral stuff, mm-hmm. but the vibrant purple of this was kind of fantastic. Strawberry honey balsamic with black pepper, which was my personal favorite. Like the strawberries come from Oregon. The uh, the balsamic like cuts the sweetness of the strawberry and black pepper is a nice finish. Like I, I told Tyler... This is the ice cream I would serve to guests at a party. Like this is this is the thing I would put out to impress people at the end of a meal. The um the other one that I really liked was called salty donut guava and cheese, and and I like guava anyway because um let me tell you the story about my the Cuban managers I had when I worked at American Express, Eliana and Andy. No, no. 
okay, two of my all-time favorite people, both like literally off the boat Cubans or their family was, right? So mm-hmm. Andy made the best Cuban coffee I have ever had. It's the kind of stuff that's so strong. He served it, and I'm not making this up, honest mm-hmm. to God, he served it in a NyQuil cup. <laughs> That's he was, that's wow. all you, Jim. That's all, all you need. There we right. go. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. and, and he would do it like right at five o'clock mm-hmm. when it's like sure I'll end it. You know, you drink it and like fifteen minutes later you're like, of course I'll stay three more hours <laughs> because I like I I have so much energy right now. I'm mm-hmm. like you know the keyboard is smoking, mm-hmm. all the keys are flying off. We're still typing. It's fine. And then um, Eliana told me about this Cuban bakery next to the uh, the MX building in Weston, which mm-hmm. is in South Florida. So I'd pick up these guava and cheese pastelitos, you know, before I showed up. Mm-hmm. So so all day long, you'd have like pastries and Cuban coffee to snack on. Mm-hmm. And now that I say that, Jim, in retrospect, I really think they were just jacking us up on sugar and caffeine to boost productivity. <laughs> but whatever it worked, and they are two of my favorite people. Oh. Anyway, this I eat this um, salt and straw guava and cheese, and mm-hmm. it's like that flashback in Ratatouille. Where you go back and you're like, oh my God, I am in a specific place and time mm-hmm. eating one of my, and I told, so my thing to Tyler was, okay, I would serve the strawberry honey balsamic to friends at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. I would, I would binge eat the guava and cheese while watching, uh, better call Saul, <laughs> you know, like, like just by myself, you know, do, doing both. It was, it's incredible. Um, they also have a couple of, uh, vegan flavors. Mm-hmm. They do a freckled mint chocolate chip with a mm-hmm. coconut base. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that was the way the mint cancels out sort of the coconutty flavor mm-hmm. of the coconut. Cause sometimes you get coconut based ice cream and all you can taste is coconut, even mm-hmm. if they're mm-hmm. trying to do other flavors, but that worked really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then they did a uh, roasted pineapple coconut sherbet, which I thought it was ice cream. I, I, I couldn't tell it was sherbet. So fantastic oh, stuff. The, um, as far as prices go, mm-hmm. uh, a scoop is around $6, two scoops are around $11, but Jim, the mm-hmm. four scoop flight, mm-hmm is just under $15. So here's a consumer tip. Mm-hmm. The break even for the flight is three scoops. So if you have three people or you just want three scoops, the flight of four mm-hmm. is actually the better option. I have to say those last two flavors, the, the flecked mint chocolate and the roasted uh, pineapple, I, I think that's what Nancy and I are going to do when we, we check this place out. So oh, it's great. incredible. Yeah, I mean, we definitely get the flight. So get you know, pick two more too. And they do a series of other like limited edition flavors, mm-hmm. and the flavors change the first Friday of every month. Mm-hmm. And you know, when Tyler was saying this, I'm like, well, how much lead time do you need mm-hmm. to to change the flavors? Because again, supply chain research, mm-hmm. testing, right? And it's basically 12 to 14 months. Mm. Wow, that's some dedication to to the cause. Yeah, I really like them though, and and Jonathan was great. He was telling me like, look, you're gonna love these people, and it was true. They are not only are they good people, but they're producing some really incredible ice cream. I think it's a a very good addition to Disney Springs. It's also right across from Haleo, which I love Haleo. So you can go back and forth and do both. <laughs> check it out the next time you're there. Okay. Uh, uh, one final note: did just check in with the Westminster Dog Show, and there is in fact no cinnamon snickerdoodle. So Len, move now. Okay, all right. I I need someone with a brown colored poodle and a schnauzer. It doesn't have to be the same person, but if you could, you know. All right. Okay. All right, uh, Jim. Time for surveys. So last week we mentioned that our friend Catherine had got a survey from Disney that could best be described as Disney asking, "Tell me how I could be a better boyfriend." Ten minutes after they break up with you. And then, Jim, Disney sent her a second survey, oh, no. which is like asking, and how did my mom treat you, baby doll? <laughs> 10, 10 out of 10 points here for, uh, to Disney for ripping off the Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would you like me to go through some of the questions? Jim? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> Here we go. So, uh, so one of the interesting questions was, did you experience Star Wars Rise of the Resistance during your visit to Disney's Hollywood Studios? And I think, Jim, we've talked about Rise of the Resistance is averaging two hours of downtime per day, oh. which is an insane amount of downtime mm-hmm. for an e-ticket ride on a consistent basis. That's not the worst day that they've had. That is, Jim, average, average. two hours a day. Oh. All right. So the, uh, the options for responses were, yes, I rode Rise of the Resistance using Lightning Lane. Yes, I rode it using the standby queue. Yes, I rode it using both the standby queue and the Lightning Lane. No, I didn't ride it, but I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, I wasn't interested in riding. And so Catherine had selected, mm-hmm. no, I didn't ride it, but I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So the next question after that was, why didn't you ride it? Mm-hmm. And Jim, this tells you that Disney is definitely hearing what we're hearing. Okay. We had to leave the line before it was our turn to ride. Mm-hmm. The wait time was just too long to join the line. The line was closed when we got to the ride. Not what happened if you know the, the park's closing or whatever. The ride wasn't operating. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. And then there were no lightning lane options available. <sighs> All valid reasons, right? They are. I'm actually surprised that they turned that into a radio button where you could only select one mm-hmm. rather than check boxes. Because I know, for example, <laughs> when the ride doesn't operate, like mm-hmm. if you show up and the ride is broken down and you come back later, mm-hmm. the reason why the line is so long is now they've got to do make goods or mm-hmm. you know to, they've got to redeem everyone who had a lightning lane during the downtime, and they basically shut off the standby queue. So multiple things can be true here is what I'm saying, Absolutely. even though it's a radio button and you only get to select one. Mm-hmm. The other one uh, question that I loved was, please rate your experience using Genie Plus during your recent visit. Mm-hmm. Excellent, very good, good, okay, just poor. Mm-hmm. Catherine selected poor, which I understand. Mm-hmm. So of course, the next question was, why do you think it was poor? And again, if you think about all the feedback Disney is getting about Genie Plus, mm-hmm. Here's the list that shows they know what the problem is, right? Mm -hmm. The reasons that you could select for explaining why Genie Plus is poor value. It costs too much. I can only book one at a time. And again, remember with FastPass, you could have three. Mm -hmm. I spent too much time checking on Lightning Lane availability on my phone. From your lips to God's ears, Catherine. I was unable to pre-plan and purchase the attractions in advance. Again, that's a difference between FastPass Plus and this. Mm-hmm. The attractions were sold out too quickly. Mm-hmm. The time between booking and returning was too far apart. I couldn't get the times I needed. Mm-hmm. It was an inconvenience to wake up early every day to book hey! attractions during my vacation. Jim! Yeah! The, so what you're saying is the problem that they fixed with FastPass Plus that they unfixed with Genie Plus is now a problem again. Oof. Ha! <laughs> Go figure! Ha. Wow! Jim, who could have foreseen this? I love that at least this question is in the survey, yeah. which means... And the interesting thing about this is it's checkboxes. So you could you could select multiple things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Catherine selected like four at the top. I, I think she just got tired and didn't get to this one. Yeah. No, I mean, you got to give Catherine credit. She yep. she spoke her mind. She spoke she did. truth to she power did. here. Thank yeah. you. And the answers were beautiful. Like, I completely agree with all, all of her answers. A couple of other um, uh, responses she could have chosen. Mm-hmm. Most of the attractions in Lightning Lane weren't worth paying extra for, and that would probably be the shows. Mm-hmm. The wait times to ride using the Lightning lane mm-hmm. were too long and our friend Jim Shulis pointed this out in Disneyland it's an issue mm-hmm. I didn't get to ride the attractions I was most excited about riding the attractions I wanted were not in Genie Plus mm-hmm. I didn't get to ride enough attractions and other mm-hmm. so I think that's a fairly comprehensive list of what we've heard mm-hmm. the problems are with Genie Plus I think so give them give Disney credit for again ripping off the band-aid mm-hmm. right yep the next question, though, which I love, is basically the equivalent of, and what did you think of my mother's cooking? 
right? <laughs> how does the number of attractions at which you use Lightning Lane compare to your expectations? And Catherine, you're selected worse than expected. There are only three choices, like mm-hmm. better, about, or worse. Mm-hmm. How likely are, she, are you to use Disney Genie, the itinerary planning app, on a future visit? And Catherine selected probably will not. Mm-hmm. How likely are you to purchase Genie Plus or individual Lightning Lane? Mm-hmm. Catherine selected probably will not. Mm-hmm. And then there are questions around the 50th anniversary celebration. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, again, <laughs> your Fred, our statistician and I, we once, we once ran a, like a three-question survey on mm-hmm. the Turing Plans website. Mm-hmm. And the question was, how could we improve the website? Mm-hmm. And Fred and I got through like two questions before we opened up a bottle of bourbon each <laughs> to start drinking. I mean, the, the feedback was excellent, right? Mm-hmm. But it is when you ask people, like, what could I do better? Mm-hmm. And be honest. And they're honest. Yeah, it's you got to be ready for it's, it. It's it's a day. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it was a, it was a long weekend. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, how did the Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary compare to your expectations? And Catherine selected worse than expected. And then the other question that was interesting here, and I've never seen this one before: How much do you agree or disagree with the statement Hollywood Boulevard or the front of the park was too crowded? Wow. Strongly agree, somewhat agree, neither agree, somewhat disagree, strongly agree. And the interesting thing is, there was one of these questions for every area of the park. And I think that's interesting because it shows that Disney's already thinking there might be a problem. And then have you, have you seen how much construction staff hiring Disney's doing Jim right now? I have not that, that's they're, they are hiring a number of not only construction people, Mm -hmm. but project management that is way beyond like, I mean, the only thing we know that's really going on is they got to finish up Moana and Mm -hmm. we've got the poly DVC. There's, no way they're hiring that many people for those two things. Something, <clears throat> something's happening. Interesting. Yeah. Any chance any of these folks are going over to Lake Nona? I mean, maybe, but isn't that the third party doing the development? Interesting point. Okay, I'm just spitballing here, but wow. And then the next question was, like, from Disney was, how soon or what point during your visit was the studios too crowded? And Catherine wrote at Park Arrival, and which is true. Like if you've been there at Park Arrival, mm-hmm. there's a huge congregation of people going to Runaway Railway or Slinky Dog or mm-hmm. Rise of the Resistance. And, and that's, that's basically it, right? Think about when they were putting in the Skyliner Station, all of the work that they did on the entrance plaza to supposedly yeah. speed people in. Because remember, they were building Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, and they, they redid the front of the park to be, instead of a straight line, sort of L-shaped, where you could bring people in from two different sides, mm-hmm. from the trams and yes. the buses. yes. And from the parking lot and Skyliner, right? Mm-hmm. But then, Jim, they only use half of that. They only use half of the L shape for entrance in the morning, which is which is bizarre to me mm-hmm. because no one's exiting the park, you know, at eight o'clock when the park opens. Like nobody, mm-hmm. I mean, you could have like two lanes for exit, like they do at the Magic Kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Just put a sign that says, you know, the farthest two lanes are for exit, but mm-hmm. open up everything for entrance. Why wouldn't you do that? I, 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 the only thing I think of is they're throttling because there aren't that many turnstiles at the go. front of the park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't want it to back up there. Because if that backs up, then it backs up and impacts people getting in line to buy tickets. And you don't want to screw up revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the other survey that uh, Catherine got starts with this. Mm-hmm. Um, which of the following describes why you did not spend more days at Walt Disney World on your most recent trip? Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> first answer is visiting the Magic Kingdom is not appealing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
Catherine, check that box too. Yeah. The uh, the other options I wanted to visit other non theme park attractions. I wanted to go to the beach. Um, health and safety protocols were too much. We didn't think we needed more time to do the things we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Visiting Epcot's not appealing. Limited theme park experiences. No fireworks. No parades. No character meet and greets. Mm-hmm. Not enough entertainment was something that Catherine selected. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I wanted to spend more time, uh, more downtime, not in the parks and then mm-hmm. vacation schedule. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was, what is the top reason you didn't spend more days at Walt Disney World? And Catherine selected here, we expected the parks to be too crowded, which again, woo, woo, like flashing signs. You and I, Jim, have talked about the downtime analysis that I've been working on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you look at how often rides break down Mm -hmm. in the parks. Like we mentioned, Rise of the Resistance Mm -hmm. is down two hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Remy's down more than an hour a day. Mm -hmm. Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway, I think, is about an hour a day. So if you think about, you know, there are 11 attractions Mm -hmm. in Hollywood Studios. Tower of Terror is running on half capacity basically all the time because there's problems with the chef, right? But if you think about the amount of capacity impacted by the very best ride, on the very best rides at Hollywood Studios, my question was, okay, how much of the park's overall capacity is lost every day to downtime? Like, is downtime enough of a problem, right? And it's really prevalent at three of the four parks. It's prevalent at Epcot, at the studios, and at Animal Kingdom because they have the fewest rides, mm-hmm. right? So when in Animal Kingdom, for example, when Expedition Everest was down for an extended period because of you know refurbishment, that meant that the headliner rides that were left were Flight of Passage, Kilimanjaro Safaris and Dinosaur, mm. right? If any of those break down, now you're at like basically 50% capacity for your e-ticket rides. What happens when you're at 50% capacity for your most popular rides? The lines, the lines go up, yeah. right? So I've been looking at this. Epcot, it, if you look at the e-ticket rides, like Test Track is down at least an hour a day. Mm. Frozen is down at least an hour a day. Remy is down at least an hour a day. The amount of downtime that is being experienced on e-ticket rides... I think in some cases, Jim, on, on very bad days, it's like 20% of those parks. Ooh. And what that means is like, so at the Magic Kingdom, it's not as bad at the Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But at the Magic Kingdom, if you look at the amount of downtime that they're losing, like the amount of ride capacity that they're losing, I think it's, it's as if they never built Seven Dwarfs Mine Train or one of the character meet and greets. Like they're losing a couple thousand people an hour. Like it's like they don't – it's like one mountain – always offline in terms of downtime. And there's probably even more than that, but that's where I'm at right now in the analysis. And that's incredible because you would think about if Disney hadn't opened new fantasy land, mm-hmm. we would have had all of the attendance increases mm-hmm. with no capacity increases. <sighs> and, and you think about new fantasy land, right? We've got what? Seven doors, mine train. Mm-hmm. You've got under the sea, you've got the aerial grotto meet and greet, mm-hmm. and you've got enchanted tales with bell and enchanted tales with bell is still closed. Mm-hmm. Right. Take out Seven Doors Mine Train because you, you're losing the capacity of basically that every day. So imagine the only thing that the Magic Kingdom has added in the last N years mm-hmm. is Under the Sea, which is an Omnimover, a yep. very high capacity ride mm-hmm. that no one goes to because it's in the back of the park and it's not a great ride. Mm-hmm. If people want to know why wait times are going up, part of it is you know Genie Plus, mm-hmm. but I think no one's looking at ride downtime because, and I think that's a huge, huge issue. Pandora's been open for how long at this point? Likewise, Test Track. These are attractions that have been operated for 
well, Avatar, we're creeping up on a decade. Yeah. And Test Track, multiple decades. And it's like. Yeah, I mean, Test Track is what, 99? Yeah. 95? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been 20 years. And the, th- the thing that kills me is Remy, there's a clone of Remy in France. Mm-hmm. That does not break down as often. Rise of the Resistance in California mm-hmm. doesn't break down as often. It's like, what What happened here? And we've, we've talked to our friend Jim Scholl, former Imagineer Jim Scholl, yeah. about the Remy thing, which we will talk about later on. But there's some reasons for that. But still, it's like, you know, okay, even, even if you know the reasons and they're valid reasons, the end result is still, we haven't increased capacity in the parks at all mm-hmm. in the last decade. Like, what... <sighs> I mean, that, and that's probably an exaggeration. I got to go back and crunch the numbers. But the good thing is, is I have through you know my Disney experience, I think I have every bit of downtime mm-hmm. for every ride going back at least a year. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm working on like making sure I know what the ride capacity is per hour, all the scheduled closures, and then all the park hours. But I'm going to calculate how much ride capacity or how much of the overall park capacity Disney's losing every day in, in downtime. It would be hard to get the info to sort of validate the supposition, but if we go back to the mid-1980s where Walt Disney World was largely 40 hours a week employees. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, in fact, it's your job. You you take it seriously. So when you're- Yeah, it's track- a career. Yeah. It's that, a career. That's yeah. exactly- There's a difference between a job and a career. Yeah. 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 And so, but, but when you the park switch to, wow, we have to pay- 40-hour employees, health insurance and benefits and that sort of thing. And it's so much cheaper to take one 40-hour position and change it, say, change it into two 20- or 30-hour positions. Yeah, you could you could take three 40-hour jobs and make it four 30-hour jobs without benefits. There we go. But again, like an employee like that isn't necessarily as invested in taking pride in their workplace, making sure yeah. that things are as efficient as possible. And I would bet you if you you took the downtimes from back then and the 40-hour-a-week Disney employee and compared them to now, I think that's the missing component, Len, that people... No, it it, it definitely is, yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm kind of amazed even right now, Mm -hmm. like we've talked about the staff shortages that Disney has around food and bev, right? 40% the the kitchens are operating on the back of house Mm -hmm. at like... 40% 40% of capacity yeah. because they can't hire the people. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Disney, right? Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of companies that are just simply resisting hiring people at higher wages, mm-hmm. thinking that somehow they're going to get through this or that something will happen to cause them to be able to hire people at lower wages. <laughs> but how long can they go with that? <laughs> it's one of those, you know, if I wish and I hope and I rub on this lamp, it'll happen. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, yeah. pal, welcome well, to the real world. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been at least a year, right? Like how much longer do they think they can do it? Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, last two, uh, last two survey questions. And again, Catherine, thank you for sending both of these in. Absolutely, They're absolutely. Hysterical. Mm-hmm. Last one was, um, why do you feel that Hollywood Studios is not appealing? Mm-hmm. Catherine wrote, it's too busy. There's not enough things to do. Everything had a crazy long line and none of it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and your dog's ugly too. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your mother trusts you funny. <laughs> And yeah. then the uh, the last question, uh, and again, this has to be related to Disney mm-hmm. cutting off Magical Express. Yep. Hey, tell us how you got from the airport to your hotel <laughs> and lists all the options. Like I said, Jim, this is the survey where Disney was like, okay, be straight with me. How bad is it? Okay. And I hope to God that everybody who got this survey answered it as honestly and truthfully as Catherine did because 
she's she said a lot of what a lot of us are thinking so uh, yeah. hats off hats off to you Catherine for that survey it was great thank you thank you alright folks when we come back uh, Jim continues his talk about the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District we'll be right back This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Look, anyone who's been on this planet for the past two years knows that life can sometimes get a little stressful, and that stress can then manifest itself in some pretty extreme ways. By that I mean you may find yourself under-eating or over-eating, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, or just spending far too much time each day face down on your phone doom-scrolling. Sometimes it's hard to take a step back and recognize the physical symptoms of stress, like headaches, teeth grinding, or even digestive issues. If any of what I've just described sounds kind of familiar, I'm a teeth grinder myself, or so says Nancy, well here's your reminder that you need to take care of yourself, which perhaps means you should maybe try some therapy. And and if that's really the case, might I suggest BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy. I, I give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Disney Dish listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Prove it! Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version. With four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Jim, in last week's episode, we started talking about why Disney wanted something like the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Mm-hmm. And since then, mm-hmm. uh, the Florida Senate has passed a resolution uh, that dissolves the Reedy Creek Improvement District in about 13 months. And yeah. I think that 13-month thing is important, mm-hmm. Jim, because I think it gives everybody enough time to cool off mm-hmm. and think about the implications of of that particular decision. And and by the way, let me just say, I don't think even for one second mm-hmm. that the Reedy Creek Improvement District is actually going to be dissolved and neither do the senators who passed the bill. So here's a quote, mm-hmm. quote, this leaves the sword of Damocles over Disney's head for ter- 13 months. It shuts them up. And this was from uh, Florida mm-hmm. State Senator Jeff Brandis, who's a Republican. Mm-hmm. He said, nobody actually thinks this is going to happen. The cost to the state would be astronomical, potentially billions of dollars. So everybody knows this is a terrible idea mm-hmm. and that it shouldn't happen, right? And I got to say that Brandis is the one Republican mm-hmm. in the Senate to vote against the idea, and he's way over in Tampa, mm-hmm. so he doesn't even have a dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. And he knows that this is a dumb idea. So mm-hmm. 
I don't expect anything big to happen here before the election. Mm-hmm. Like basically, everyone's gonna be quiet till November, Especially and then I think especially Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. this point, the whole notion of don't give anybody any additional ammo. Right now, coming out of Burbank, radio silence. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's gonna be everyone's everyone's response to any further comment is gonna be we said what we said, mm-hmm. and and just leave it at that. But I think after that, after the election, people on both sides of this, you know, don't say gay bill, mm. are going to look for ways to de-escalate this Reedy Creek Improvement District thing because mm. it's the impact to voters mm. in or Osceola and Orange County is so tremendous that yeah. nobody who is in office right now would ever be elected. They couldn't be dog catcher mm-hmm. if they do. So on next week's show, Jim, uh, we're going to review what Disney might do if the state actually tries to dissolve mm-hmm. the RCID. We've talked to I've talked to three lawyers now mm-hmm. about this all at, at length. Like uh, they're they're all listeners mm-hmm. and they volunteered each an hour of their time cool, cool. to talk about it. Just tremendous people. So mm-hmm. um, we had some some interesting ideas. Short preview on that, Jim Bubula. <laughs> God willing, we should live so long as to see the end of that litigation. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't. I don't think Jim. We we have enough life year <laughs> expected life expectancy no. to to see the end of that litigation. Hopefully, our children mm. can get through law school so that they can earn some money from this. You know, for their own for their own children. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, Jim. So, Reed Creek Improvement District Part Three. Last week's show shared a lot of info that I pulled out of the Walt Disney Productions annual report from 1966. Staffers then pulled together the necessary info for the report, various divisions at Disney, and the report itself gets published on December 9th, 1966. Then, six days later, Walt dies. And this is why that annual report came with a wraparound, a document that had been hastily attached to the outside of the the physical booklet, which then acknowledged the obvious. So uh, let me quote from the wraparound here. An important message to our shareholders and employees. This annual report was prepared prior to Walt Disney's passing. The enthusiasm for the future you'll find in these pages stemmed directly from Walt. In this report are the facts that support this enthusiasm. It should confirm to you that the substantial creative assets of Walt Disney Productions, our motion picture properties, uh, completed and yet-to-be-produced films, real estate, Disneyland, character merchandising, music publications, and the world-famous Disney name will result in a successful future. It was was Walt's wish that when the time came, he would have built-in organization with the creative talents to carry on what he had established and direct it through the years. Today, that organization has been built and we shall carry out this wish. And we close out with Walt Disney's preparations for the future is a solid creative foundation. All of the plans for the future that Walt has begun, new motion pictures, the expansion of Disneyland, and our Florida and Mineral King projects, as outlined in this report, will continue to move forward. Signed, Roy O. Disney, President and Chairman of the Board, Walt Disney Productions. So, uh, so Disneyland, Florida, and Mineral King. So, two out of three ain't bad. I mean, let me quote Meatloaf here. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is in the letter, when Roy lists what he sees as the company's core assets in Walt's passing, and the, the batting order he put together is motion picker properties, real estate, that's got to be Florida, right? That's right. Oh, then, Florida and Mineral King. And Mineral King, yeah. But then Disneyland and then character merchandising. So again. Oof. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Disneyland's third on the list. All right. Roy puts the company's real estate holdings, which, again, at that time, as you mentioned, 43 square miles of undeveloped swampland in Central Florida ahead of Disneyland. That's really telling, at least to me, of Walt's brother's headspace in the immediate yeah. wake of Walt's passing. At this point, Walt Disney Productions has spent roughly $5 million on the acquisition of that land. Which I think I think today is the equivalent of uh, 87 cents. It's, there was like no money. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and now uh, General Joe Potter, in order to get the land ready for construction, especially that 2,500-acre chunk in the heart of the property that would become the home of Florida's vacation kingdom. To get that 2,500 acres of swamp and wetlands ready for construction, uh, we talked about this last show. Had Joe has to build 38 miles of water control channels. <laughs> he's just running a bulldozer from one end of property to the <laughs> no! other. That's all he's doing. It's like mowing the lawn, but like where the lawn is like the median of like I-95. <laughs> you start in Maine, you end in Key West. <laughs> you turn around and come back. <laughs> but it, it's brutal, hot expensive yeah. work. There's mosquitoes. Like, it's all, it's mud, it's muck, it smells terrible. Oh, no, yeah, no, I mean, it's the worst. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and again, remember, he's not even allowed to be, you know, build straight canals. Walt right. wants curvy. Theming, the, theming. Yeah. So, to, to, their, to their credit, mm -hmm. the canals that they've introduced look almost like they've been there forever. I no. mean, every time I take the monorail from the Magic Kingdom to mm -hmm. Epcot, I'm like, they really did a great job on the design here. They it did. Not all straight lines. They so, did. Yeah. At the same time, if we go back into the halls at Walt Disney production, particularly in, in the early part of 67, there's a lot of folks who are like, why are we spending this money? I mean, Walt's gone. Does it even make sense that we push ahead with construction of this giant thing in Florida, or not to mention a ski area up in the high Sierras? And for a time, just the sheer momentum of Project Florida was enough to keep the Enterprise moving forward. I mean, again, Joe's on the ground with his earth-moving equipment, and even if the company were entertaining the idea of abandoning, you know, all the land that had been acquired for the vacation kingdom, I mean, in order to get the, the full value out of this real estate purchase, they yep. still have to build a network of access roads so they can, yep. you know, you could. They need to make it usable even if they're going to pawn it off, right? So that's it, exactly. Say, like, I've done some development. Mm -hmm. It's turnkey ready, as the kids say. But again, remember, this is during the period of the Reedy Creek Drainage District, not the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Because uh, Sorry, it's drainage because you had mentioned in the last show that mm -hmm. it, it, this is actually a one of some of the headwaters of the Everglades. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and, and that too, you know, also home to, to several thousand of Florida more prestigious alligators. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I mean the uh, the alligators at uh, at Golden Oak. Oh, yeah, well, enjoy no. special status. Absolutely, they get they get turned into Hermes handbags, <laughs> not the stuff you pick up at J.C. Penney. All right, go ahead. Love that. Love that. Okay, <laughs> just, this is just a great show. There we go. <laughs> We're having fun. I don't know if anyone else likes okay. you and I. Enjoy. There we go. We're having a good time. But no, no, no. Let's cut to our Florida legislators who are anxiously awaiting those detailed plans for Project Florida, oh. which the company's supposed to unveil in February of '67. This yeah. is a scary scary time for those oh, folks. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, they're calling Roy and saying, like, the, the state legislature is like, hey, we got some uh, some spare time between sessions. Do you need people to pilot the bulldozers? Roy actually steps away from oh, the day. Oh, that's got to freak them out, too. Yeah. You know, he's, he's mourning his brother, so he steps away from day-to-day -day operations. And of course, oh, when God. does he step away? He steps away from December of 66 right up until the presentation in February 67. So so, Walt's, so Walt passes away. Right. And then communication goes silent 
with the legend. Oh, God. Yeah. The guys up in Tallahassee are literally leaning on their staff. It's like, call anybody you know in Anaheim or Burbank. All right. I just- There's this eight-year-old kid named Jim Hill. He's got, he's got a future. <laughs> call right. him. There he goes. Okay. Because, <laughs> again, they think- we are in direct con- competition with Mineral King and thinking it's well, it's gone. There's just no way the company is going forward with construction of both of these ambitious projects. I mean, yeah. people and corporations naturally get conservative in moments like yeah. this. And Disney was going to have to eventually regroup, retrench. And, uh, and when that happened, Len, one of these two projects was going to fall off the table. And when you consider what Project Florida meant to the people of Orange and Osceola County, all those jobs and taking a chunk of Central Florida, which up until that time, largely rural, made most of its money off of growing citrus and raising cattle. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you still you go an hour west now between, you know, Orlando and and Tampa and mm. it's farmland. But a think, lot of it. Think about it. you're dangling in front of these people that you're willing to turn this piece of Central Florida into an attraction that one day will rival Florida's beaches. It's just sort of like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Florida elected officials are heartened when they learn in late December of '66, Wilderness Protection Group's chief among them, the Sierra Club, were mounting a challenge to Mineral King. I was going to say, there's uh, the Sierra Club probably gets a ton of uh, signups from uh, oh, absolutely. from the Central Florida area. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Environmentality has always been very important. <laughs> To, to the state legislature. I've mostly got live oaks in my yard, but sequoias, sequoias are the really important <laughs> trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, 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 the legislatures, uh, the legislators of uh, Florida, the elected officials have suddenly become very concerned about the, uh, the environment around, around the, the Sierra Nevada mountains. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a nice global view that they have, Jim. I mean, when you're, when you, when you work in government, you've got to have a broad perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and again, this whole issue. Save the whales. <laughs> Especially if they live in the sequoias that are next exactly, to Mineral King. Exactly. You know, like, but this is the thing, the, the, the all-weather road that the National Forest Service at this point had actually agreed you know, right. with Disney, yeah. let's build this. But again, it's got to go through the group of sequoias that are actually outside of Sequoia National Forest. So the, the whole notion of, you got a lot of sequoias in there. Why do you need to protect these? And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, but the Sierra Club made it, an issue of it. And, and to Disney's way of thinking... The natural beauty of California's high Sierras, yeah. that's one of the big draws of Mineral King. But it turns out it would then turn into one of the, the main drawbacks of the project. Right. The naturalists, the environmentalists, are, are you know giant corporation talking about cutting down old growth forests. Yeah. But Disney's perspective on this was, and I think we read this in the, uh, in the Buzz Price archives, mm-hmm. right? Disney's perspective was, okay, we sacrificed 1% of the trees, mm. but the number of people that we bring in who see the natural beauty of the remaining 99% of the trees mm-hmm. will go back and then be advocates for the environment. These are the Florida legislators themselves who were, again, pumping folks in Anaheim, pumping folks in Burbank. What's mm-hmm. going on inside the building? What are you hearing? And it's like two very distinct separate camps rose up. You know, they were the folks mm-hmm. who were like, why are we going ahead with the stupid ski area idea? I mean, Florida at least makes sense, sort of. It's just Disneyland writ large. And we as a yeah. company, we have a decade's worth of experience when it comes to operating family fun parks. All we have to do in Orlando is replicate what we have in Anaheim and boom, profit. On the other hand, there's this camp within Disney. It's like, look, we need to grow beyond just producing movies and operating theme parks. That's, that's what 
what Walt wanted. He wanted the company to keep changing and growing. And company does actually have experience operating sports-related operations. I mean, look at the Celebrity Sports Center in Denver. We're the, we've been the sole operator of that seven-acre thing with its 80 bowling alleys and Olympic-sized pools since 62. And we yep. make good money off of the place. On the other hand, we know nothing when it comes to building cities. Yeah. That's why we have to sell off all this property in Central Florida, that experimental prototype community of tomorrow thing that we all want to do. Recipe for disaster. You know, it's like, look, yeah. forget about Florida. Let's concentrate all efforts in California. Stick with the original Disneyland studio in Burbank and build the ski area up in, in Merrill King. So picture this, you're, you're an official in Tallahassee and you're hearing these two very strong voices come out of California. And it's like, even the people at Disney aren't sure whether they want to go forward with Project yeah. Florida or Mineral King. So at this point, in order to get Walt Disney Productions to say yes to proceeding with the development in Florida, Florida officials literally have to create a guide path to Disney saying yes, remove every impediment yeah. you know, that the company is facing to, for building anything beyond you know, the 38 miles of drainage canals and those access yeah. roads. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking at it saying we have to be proactive here. And, but here's my question. Mm -hmm. Were they proactive just because of the Mineral King thing or did they look at Walt dying and Roy stepping away and saying – there's a leadership vacuum here. We need to, we that, need to do something. That was the scary part. So it's like, we need the tier of management directly below Roy to be voicing opinions to the effect of, we need to go forward in Florida. Look what's happening there. So this will mean, you know, in order to get that glide path, we have to relax a lot of Florida's zoning regulations and building codes. And mind you, Len, Florida had done this before. In the early 1960s, when developer Del E. Webb expressed an oh, okay, yeah, 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 when he expressed an interest in building an East Coast version of Sun City, that hugely popular retirement community, which he'd established in the Southern California desert outside of the tiny town of Menifee, Sunshine State officials bent over backwards to make Dell's dream of a Sun City in Florida a reality. In order for to get Webb to build Sun City Center, which is in uh, southern Hillsbury County uh, to the south of Tampa and to the north of Sarasota, on, hey, 16 square miles of swampland, uh, Florida makes all sorts of concessions as a developer, it, 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 yeah. keeping the, this huge chunk of property unincorporated, for example. And in the end, that was enough to convince Webb to buy this 12,000-acre property in early 61. And today, Sun City Center, an age-restricted retirement community, is home to over 30,000 people then. Wow. And that was the thing I'm thinking up in Tallahassee. Look, if we're going to beat out that ski area and the high sea area, we have to do for Disney what we did for Del Webb. And it's like, give them whatever they want. Yeah. So anyway... On our next week, the final chapter of our Reedy Creek Improvement District saga, we're going to talk about how the Reedy Creek Improvement District ultimately came together. And given what's going on now, we're going to talk about what at least they're pretending to do, Yeah, you know, versus what's actually happening. So, yeah, there's some there's some interesting things that uh, the Florida legislature has already said. Mm -hmm. And then the lawyers that I talked to, the two questions I had for them were, mm -hmm. if you're the Florida legislature, how would you dissolve it? And we've kind of seen what that roadmap looks like. Mm -hmm. But then the next question is, okay, you're Disney. Knowing knowing that, mm -hmm. how do you counter that? Mm -hmm. And then what could the state do to counter it and so on? So it's like, what's the what are two moves ahead on either side for the chess game? So I, like I said, I've spoken to three lawyers for about an hour. 
each. And they, they have some really, they have some very straightforward ideas and then they have some very creative ideas. And uh, I cannot wait to hear what these guys say. Yeah, it was a, it was a nice little, uh, nice little look in, into uh, both uh, state, Florida mm-hmm. state law and constitutional law and then contract law for all of them. So it was great to, uh, again, our listeners who are lawyers are fantastic for volunteering their time for that. I do appreciate that. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, more on the Reedy Creek Improvement District and a new Universal Orlando survey asks for your opinion on ideas for new after-hours style events. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be steroid testing the American Pekins, Khaki Campbells, the Indian Runners, and whatever else people enter at the 43rd Annual Great American Duck Race, August 25th through the 28th at McKinley Duck Downs, that's in Courthouse Park Gym, in beautiful downtown Deming, New Mexico. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.